This morning, I had planned to, uh, Kempis and I had talked this week about just this series on husbands and wives, and uh, it's just been very good, very impactful, and we thought it would be great to talk a little more about marriage. And so we had come up with the idea of looking at conflict in marriage, uh, something that's very important that uh, we all struggle with, those of us who are married, we all struggle with conflict, period. But given the events this week, um, I just felt it more appropriate this morning to uh, speak more personally to you. Our church has gone through a lot these last couple of years, especially. I think not only the Boldies, I think of the Townsends, I think of the Louisies, I think of the Phillips, the Shirens. I could go on and on. There have been many families affected deeply by very painful things. Many of us have suffered loss. Many have suffered through difficulty. And through all these things, we're reminded over and over and over again that life is full of tragedy. Life is full of difficulty. And it's not just us who have experienced it, right? I mean, think of all the things going on around the world. Famine, drought, earthquakes, acts of terrorism, wars, disease. I could go on and on. Today, right now, many are suffering. And many... People in this world, when they see this, when they experience this, those in the hospital room, when they see a little girl come in, injured from a car accident or collapsing from exercise, can be tempted to wonder, does God even care? Does God see these things? Many in this world have doubts. Uh, One song that sticks in my head It's not a good song, but it does reflect the nature of our culture. It was sung by a secular New Age group, Depeche Mode. This was the chorus of that song. I don't want to start any blasphemous rumors, but I think that God has a sick sense of humor. And when I die, I expect to find Him laughing. That reflects the attitude of many in this culture. In the face of tragedy and suffering, they wonder, where is God? Does He see? Does it matter to Him? Does he care? Is he concerned at all about our condition? Does he laugh when he sees us in our misery? Does he yawn with indifference when people in this world cry out to him? Have we been deceived when we read the Bible saying that God is love? Even believers can struggle with these things. We can have those times in great trial. wonder, is God really here? In the suffering and pain, I don't sense him. I don't feel him. I think of David in Psalm 13. He cried out these words in the midst of a great trial in his life. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day in the sorrow of my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O Lord, my God. This is David, a man that the Bible described as a man after God's own heart. He struggled at times wondering, God, are you even there? Do you even care? Why have you hidden yourself from me? Now, we all know the Sunday school answer to this question. We can all recite God is good, that God is compassionate, that is, he is merciful. But are you convinced? Are you convinced even in the midst of, suffering. David wondered where God was when life got hard. David wondered where he was, if God really cared. 
Do you know, Jesus, when he walked this earth, he saw many things. He saw suffering. He experienced suffering. He experienced loss in his own family. His father, Joseph. Jesus saw pain. We're going to look at one particular event when Jesus came upon a tragedy this morning. And it's my prayer that as we look at this event in the life of Christ, you will see that God is compassionate, that He does care. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. This is a passage that we need today. Many of us are hurting. Many of us are hurting for the boldies. Many of us may have memories, recent tragedies or difficulties that we've experienced in our own life. Many of us have suffered. And all of us will go through hardship. Every single person in this room. We are all going to suffer at some point. We're all going to face loss and difficulty. And so we need to be convinced without any doubt that God cares. So appreciate, Brother Kempis, what you shared earlier from Romans 8. We need these truths. Here in Luke 7, verses 11 to 15, we're going to find this morning two sources of comfort in the midst of suffering. Two sources of comfort in the midst of suffering. Now up to this point in Luke's gospel account, he's been uh, articulating and focusing on the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah. In fact, uh, look with me back in Luke 4 for a minute. It's very interesting. Uh, Luke chooses to wait before recording um, uh, Jesus' first words in his ministry. Uh, He doesn't record anything from his early ministry in the region of the Jordan. Instead, he waits until Jesus returns to Galilee. So we're looking here in Luke 4, probably maybe close to a year after Jesus had been baptized. He returns to Galilee to his hometown of Nazareth. He's in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Scroll of Isaiah is handed to him, and he opens it, and he reads these words, verse 18 of chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then Jesus closed the book. Gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. These are the first words that Luke records from the ministry of Christ. They're not the first words that he said, but these are the first words that Luke turns our attention towards in his gospel. To show that Jesus here reads from the prophecy of Isaiah of the coming one that the Spirit of the Lord would anoint, that He is the Messiah. And Jesus said, today is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm standing in front of you. The very Messiah that had been promised. And then as we read through Luke's gospel, he gives story after story and account after account to demonstrate through Jesus' power, through His authority, through His wisdom, through His preaching, that He is the King of Kings. But this is the one. There can be no doubt. There's the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus in the midst of the great storm, calming the sea with but a few words. There's the Sermon on the Mount. There's the transfiguration. The many who Jesus healed, the lame, the sick, the blind, the demon-possessed, the diseased. He healed everyone brought to him. 
And through these great miracles, Luke shows us this, this is the Messiah. This is the coming king. He's the one. He fulfilled what Isaiah said would happen. But did Luke give us these miracles only to show us that he's the Messiah? Only to demonstrate that he is the one who fulfilled God's promise to send a man to be the son of David? Did Jesus have any real concern over those whom he healed? Did Jesus care about those he was helping? Did their suffering matter to him? That's what we need to look at this morning. And today we will see that not only did Christ have the power and the authority to heal through the work of the Spirit in his life, but that he wanted to. He wanted to. He cared. And he still does. Our passage this morning in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 15. Again, we're going to see here two sources of comfort in the midst of suffering. Two, two pillars that you need to grasp tightly when you're going through trials. Two lifelines that you, you need to hold on to when tragedy strikes. The first source of comfort is found in verses 11 through 13. And it is this. When you suffer, be encouraged that Jesus sees. The second we see in verses 14 and 15, be convinced that Jesus cares. Let's look at the first comfort. Be encouraged that Jesus sees. Take a look at verse 11. So set up what happens here. Luke 7, 11 says this. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Let's stop there for a minute. He said, Jesus had been in Capernaum, ministering in the region of Galilee. He'd been there for some time. Galilee, or Capernaum's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it was there that Jesus, he had healed a sick man. If you remember the the story of the centurion, and the centurion asking for Jesus to heal a servant. And, And after that, Jesus takes this journey. Comes across this little town called Nain. It's about 40 kilometers, 25 miles or so south of Capernaum. Very little is known about this town. In fact, this is the only place in the Bible that Nain is mentioned. But as Jesus approached the gate of this small town, Luke draws our attention to a scene that was unfolding there. What is it that we see? What is it that Jesus sees? He sees a funeral procession, right? Coming out of the town. He sees the coffin with the man being put upon. And usually there they would have several men that would carry a, a coffin or a beer. And, and the body would be on top of that. They'd be carrying out for burial. There's a large crowd there. Luke describes that on this platform is a dead young man. Uh, the Greek word there indicates he may be 20, 30 years old. Something like that. And next to the coffin in the midst of this crowd is a woman. A woman who is weeping. And she's weeping because she is that young man's mother. What does Luke tell us about this woman? Do you notice there? He only gives us two key details about her. He says that she was a widow and that this dead man was her only son. That's all that Luke tells us. And just those two facts alone makes this all the more tragic, doesn't it? Think about this. These two things are among the most devastating events that one can experience. She lost her husband, and then she lost her only son. She was now alone. Maybe some of you have experienced this. Loss of a child. 
loss of a grandchild. It is pain that is too great to bear. This first hit home with me several years ago when my uncle died. I was a young man, and uh, what hit me was how I saw that it affected his father, my grandpa. I've told you about my grandpa before, I think. Uh, He was the most fearless man I have ever known. I can still see him now pulling his rotten tooth out with pliers. He did take a shot of whiskey before he pulled it out. One time, uh, he was literally kicked in the head by a horse, and he walked almost a mile back to the house. Blood was everywhere, and he ended up needing 50 stitches, and guess they, well, they were shaped like a big U on the top of his head. But he survived that. Remember another time, a, a bull was charging us. We were around, not a bull, but a, a female cow. I do have my uh, animal husbandry correct here. It was a female cow, but she had nice big horns, and uh, we were, in her mind, a threat to her calf. And so she was charging after us. <laughs> My grandfather was with me. We, we didn't have any time to do anything, so he just yelled at her. I won't tell you what he said. But the amazing thing, she stopped. She, like, stopped. I mean, my grandfather was an amazing man. He was a strong man, and I never, ever saw him express emotion. Yet when his son died, as he stood over that coffin, this rugged war veteran, this man that I'd seen do amazing things. He was full of grief, and he wept. I'd never seen him cry. And that showed me just how great pain is when you lose a child. It showed me exactly what this woman, this widow, was experiencing when her only son was lying there above her, being carried for burial. She lost her only son. And you know what? None of this escaped the Lord's attention. Look at the text with me in verse 13. As he comes upon this funeral procession, procession, verse 13, it says, When the Lord saw her. Now stop right there. We need to linger here a moment. Luke intentionally includes these words. We can't miss what he's wanting to show us here. Because you see, Jesus could have moved on from this scene. I mean, after all, what is the town of Nain? It's nothing. It's a little town, obscure. He was passing by, by the way. He was on his way somewhere else. And you see, Jesus could have kept going. He had a busy schedule. He had many people to see, many sermons to preach, many others to heal. Did he really have time to stop and to take note of everything that he passed by? And yet here, notice, he stopped. And he saw her. And think about this again. After all, who was this woman? We don't know anything about her, really. We don't know her name. We're not told of her uh, situation in terms of her relationship with God. We don't even know if she was a believer. Jesus isn't said to have known her personally. Unlikely, he'd never been to this place before. We don't even know, again, if she was a genuine follower of him. And yet, Jesus stopped. And Jesus looked. And Jesus saw He wasn't just some bystander. He didn't treat this event casually. Oh, there's another person that's died. Happens around here. Jesus paid attention. Jesus took notice. He saw her great suffering. He wasn't too busy to take the time to see. 
Is our God too busy to stop what he's doing and notice your suffering? After all, he is running the universe, right? It's quite busy, I hear. He wouldn't have the time to consider just one person at one moment in time with all the billions around this earth, could he? What's the answer to that, beloved? That's not his heart at all. He's never too busy. He is never too uncaring. He stopped and took notice of this woman, right? And he will take the time to stop and notice you. He will take the time to help. He will take the time to care. Be encouraged. Jesus sees your suffering. Jesus sees your suffering and it matters to him. Brothers and sisters, when others are suffering, we need to encourage them with this wonderful truth, with the truth of Christ's compassion. We need to remind them that he sees, that he knows, that it matters. Tell them of this woman. Tell them her story. And what Jesus does, or what this story does, as we look to see, as it stops and looks, is it, it, it reminds me to ask the question myself, do I take notice? Do I stop and look? Am I too busy? I still remember the day that um, my wife's father died. Tina and I went to be with her mom. We went to her house to spend the night there, and I can still hear her mother's weeping and groaning all night. I kept waking up, and she, she was just sorrowful at the loss. And, and tragedies like the death of a loved one bring great pain. This did not escape Jesus' notice. He looked upon the woman, and then he responded. Christ shows his compassion to her. Christ shows that he cares. Let me ask you a question. How involved are you in the life of others? Do you take time to notice when a person is suffering, when they encounter tragedy? What do you do? Are you too busy to stop? Do you spend time with those suffering? Do you look in their eyes to empathize with them? Our Lord Jesus did that. So we need to remember this. Our first source of comfort in the midst of suffering is to know and be encouraged that Jesus sees. And the second comfort is to know that He cares. To be convinced that He cares. For you see here in the story, Jesus did not simply stop and look. He wasn't simply one of the rubberneckers on the freeway when they see an accident or that they stop and look. And Jesus, that wasn't why He looked. He saw her and He responded. Notice verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. As Jesus looks at her, Luke notes that, says that Jesus saw her weeping. Weep here is more than crying, as you may imagine. The word has this idea of a loud expression of grief, something you would expect to see from a mother who had lost her child. Tragedies like the death of a loved one bring such great pain, and Jesus responds in compassion. Jesus responds to her and shows this compassion in two different ways. Notice his first response in verse 13. 
as he shows compassion in what he says. What does Jesus do when he looks upon her? Does he say nothing? Does he offer empty words? Well, these, these things happen. This is God's plan. Does he just pat her on the back and move on? Notice he simply tells her this. Do not weep. Now this may seem a little strange, perhaps even uncaring at first, to think about, she's at a funeral. This is her child. Of course she'd be weeping. What are you telling her, Jesus, to stop crying? Are you uncomfortable with with people expressing emotion? Was that what he was doing here? Jesus told the one person who had more reason than anyone else to weep, he said to stop weeping. But you see, he's not rebuking her here. He's not telling her to ignore her pain. In these words, he's beginning to provide her comfort because he's about to take action. He's about to do something about this. He could have simply performed this miracle and moved on, though, right? Could have healed the man. He didn't even have to go up to the lady, right? He had shown just in the miracle right before he could heal from a distance. In a sense, I guess there was wireless connections in those days. He could have performed that healing without being personally involved. But Jesus goes up to this woman. He sees her and he speaks to her. Tender words, I think. Stop weeping. You can almost hear the softness and compassion in his voice. Her tears moved his heart. This is the same God that comforts us today when we are suffering. Words like Psalm 46 come to mind. Words that say God is our refuge and strength, a very present and always present help in time of trouble. Cease striving and know that I am God. Or Philippians 4, 6, you know this passage. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the God of peace, it says, which surpasses the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These are words of comfort. Our Lord speaks them in times of difficulty. Often he chooses to use us to bring those words of comfort, his words of comfort, to others when they are suffering. And again, I would ask, how are you doing in this area? Be like Christ. Be a comfort to those. But you may say, well, how? What do I say? What do I do? I showed up this week and I saw Brock and Christina. I didn't know what to say. Can you weep with those who weep? Can you sit and listen? Can you pray for and with those in pain? Can you read to them God's comforting word? Can you remind them of the goodness of God? Can you just show them that you care? Be one who gives comfort to those who suffer. Let's take a look back at verse 14. Upon seeing this woman's pain, Jesus comforts her not only in what he says, but secondly in what he does. This is amazing. Luke tells us plainly in verses 14 and 15 what Christ's compassion moves him to do. He simply went up to the front of the coffin and he spoke directly to the young man and he tells him, get up. And guess what? He sat up. Now that's some power. This is something only God can do. And Christ was empowered by the Spirit to to perform incredible miracles like this one. But listen, the point of this story is not in what our Savior did, but why He did it. 
Look again at verse 13. What happens here? The Lord sees the funeral procession. He sees the crowd. He sees the dead man. He sees the mother in particular. The Lord looks upon her tear-stained face. And when he saw her, what does the text say? What does it say, brothers and sisters? He felt compassion for her. I love how the NIV translated translates this. His heart went out to her. And I think that is a good translation. He felt compassion. His heart went out to her. This poor woman had lost all that mattered to her in this world. And this poor woman's pain actually moved the heart of God. That word compassion is the idea of your inner bowels turning over. Jesus felt emotion. And notice, this woman didn't ask for Christ's help. This woman did not do something that would earn reward or favor from God. In fact, we don't even know this woman's name. And yet Jesus was immediately moved with compassion for her. And that is why he rose that man from the dead. A miracle that did not, there are not too many recorded miracles along those lines in Scripture. And I want you to think about this. Really think about this. Jesus, the Son of God, in human flesh, he was moved in his heart with emotion. Our Creator, our Lord and Master, expressed tender emotion. And again, in fact, he was so moved that he performed one of the few Raisings of the dead that we see in the Bible. His compassion is also seen at the end of verse 15. Notice again that one little phrase that Luke includes here. Says so much. Notice he says there, after raising the young man from the dead, what does he do? Well, see my miracle belt here. Let me put another notch there and move on. Is that what he did? It says he gave the woman's son back to her. Oh, that says so much. That's the heart of someone who cares. Can you picture the scene? Don't weep. Here's your boy. Here's your boy. Jesus Christ shows us God's deep concern. Again, His healings and miracles were not only expressions of His power, they were also expressions of His compassion. When you are suffering, be convinced Jesus cares. Be convinced Jesus cares. Your grief and your sorrow does touch his heart. There are so many examples of this. We could go many places of Christ's compassion. One that sticks out in my mind is is the man, the leper, who came to Jesus in Mark 1. Again, I think we know his story, but let's let's go there for a moment. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. You may remember, right, anybody in those days who had leprosy, they were declared unclean. They were forced away from society. In fact, Luke thirteen forty six says this, that the leper shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. This disease meant you were an outcast. This disease meant you were alone. This disease meant that if someone came by, you had to cry out, unclean, I'm unclean. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine if that were you. And yet listen to Christ's reaction when this leper comes to him. Verse 40 of chapter 1 in Mark, a leper came to Jesus beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 
Move with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now Luke notes this man was full of leprosy. This was a severe case. And when he comes to Jesus, what does Jesus do? Ha! Ah, ah, get away! You're not following Scripture. Luke 13, 46. He didn't have the chapter and verse at that time. But in Luke, or in Leviticus, says you are to not be around us. Did Jesus condemn him? Did he move away from him? Did he avoid contact with this man? So, well, stay over there. I'll heal you, but stay over there. Is that how Jesus responded? Much to the contrary. Not only did Jesus express his desire to heal, he said, yeah, I'm willing. Be cleansed. But look at what else he did. Again, notice the little phrases in the Gospels that tells us of Jesus' thoughts and actions. Where was this man? Where was his position, this leper? He's on the ground, right? says that he fell to his knees. What does the text say here? What does Mark tell us that Jesus did? He not only healed him, but he touched him. What did Jesus have to do in order to touch this man? And the word there for touch is not just a touch. It is to grab, to grasp. Think about that. That says volumes about our Lord. Jesus cared. How long had it been since this man had felt another human being touch him? Jesus shows his great love and compassion for this man by not only healing him, but by firmly grabbing him. I'm willing, be cleansed. He was healed. This poor soul had been terribly afflicted by this disease, rejected by society, and Jesus shows him genuine kindness and care by touching him. Now, why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus do this? Why did he touch this man? Why did he heal him? Notice what the text says there. Moved with what? Compassion. There's that word again. Moved with compassion. Christ's response to this leper. Christ's response to the widow of Nain. These show that Jesus cares deeply for the suffering. He cares for those who are going through trial. Be encouraged that Jesus sees when you are suffering, that he sees it. Be convinced that he cares. Most of you know our daughter Bree. You know her story. Even though she's 15 now, it seems like it wasn't that long ago. I can still remember vividly that ultrasound, a 20-week appointment that we had, I can still see the office. I can still see who was there. I can look around the room. Sitting next to my wife, we're all looking at the monitor. I can still see those little hands moving. still see that little heart fluttering. still hear the laughter. Kids were telling jokes. They were in there with us. It was a joyful time. But not long after that, everything changed. doctor came in and he he told us about her condition, missing half of her spine, one liver, severe deformity. She was attached to the placenta. And then he said these words, which still stabbed the heart. 
baby's not compatible with life. She's not going to survive birth. They gave us the option to terminate the pregnancy, of course. The next week brought more bad news. My grandmother, who was really like a mother to me, I was raised by my grandparents for much of my early life. Uh, She had suffered a stroke, massive stroke. She couldn't move or talk. She's in the hospital. And so I flew down to see her. And as I came to her bedside, she couldn't say anything. She couldn't hardly move. I held her hand. She was also like my grandpa. She didn't show much emotion. And as I looked at her face, all I saw was a tear come down as she looked at me. She knew she was what her condition was. At that moment, my heart was ready to burst. I got home, went to bed. Tina stayed. I was by myself. That night I was broken. I cried out to God for mercy. I didn't even know what to say. I just said, spare them. Spare my mother. Spare my little girl. And you know what happened in that moment? That very moment, the Lord brought this story to my mind. I told you this would be a personal message, and it's very personal. The story of that widowed name, he reminded me through that, that this woman, unknown widow, in a small unknown town, had lost her only son, and then God reminded me of what his son showed and did for that woman, that he cared. That he cared. That's all I needed to know. I found great comfort in this story. I found great comfort and encouragement knowing that the God of the universe is not distant and uncaring and unfeeling and far removed. He doesn't laugh. I knew in that moment he saw my suffering and I knew in that moment that he cared. I didn't know what he was going to do. But you see, that's not the point, is it? Well, that little girl who wasn't supposed to live, 15 years old, she sang in the Christmas concert last night. I've heard you were the best singer, by the way. I won't tell anyone else. But and Every day I see her, I praise God. Praise God for his compassion. God does care. This same God who came upon... An unknown widow who had lost her only son. This same God who was moved with compassion for her. This same God who was approached by a leprous man full of, full of this dreaded disease. This, this same God not only healed him, not only touched him, this same God constantly cared all the time for all the needs of those who came to him. The same God who gave my little girl life. This same God cares about Abby. He cares about Brock and Christina. This same God cares about you. And what's so amazing to me, none of us deserves that compassion. Who here can say they deserve it? None of us do. In fact, the Bible says we should get the opposite. The Bible says we have all sinned and rebelled against God. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understand. There's none who seeks for God. None have done good. All have turned aside. And rather than his compassion, we deserve his judgment. A righteous, holy judgment. We deserve his punishment. 
the Son of God showed His compassion to the utmost when He gave His life so that we would not have to suffer that punishment. Any who would repent and believe and turn to Christ in faith do not have to suffer His judgment. A deserved judgment. Because our punishment was taken away by a man who cared. And if you have not yet turned your heart to serve, to worship, to follow, if you not turn from your sin to put your trust in this kind and compassionate and good and holy God, do not let any more time pass. This God is full of compassion and care. But He will not tolerate sin. And if you've not put your trust in His Son and the death on the cross that He suffered to pay for sin, you will not see compassion on that day when you face Him. You will see wrath. But God does not desire any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You have an opportunity to experience a God who is so full of compassion that you can even have peace in the midst of the worst Suffering a man. I just saw Pastor Brock right before this message. He was in his office. I've hugged him more. We've hugged more than we ever have, I think. Uh, you know, and he's just, he's, he's at peace. He's scared. He's concerned. But he's at peace. How in the world is that? Because he knows a God of compassion. He knows a Savior. Listen, our Creator is not distant, unfeeling, or uncaring. And He shows us this because He chose to become a man and to enter this world as a baby. Son of God chose to spend His first night in a feeding trough of all places. He lived for 30 years in a small town working as a carpenter. He dwelled among sinners with patience and love. He allowed Himself to be mocked and beaten and crucified, spat upon. And He gave His life, as Brock likes to say, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so let nobody say, let no one ever say God doesn't care. Let no one say that He's not full of kindness and compassion. Let no one say that He doesn't care about our sorrow and suffering. Let no one say that He's not actually moved by our distress. Brothers and sisters, if if you're in a difficult time right now, be encouraged that Jesus sees your suffering. And in those times when your suffering seems too much to bear, be convinced that Jesus does care. And when you feel you don't know where else to turn, remember Jesus and His compassion. We don't know His will for for Abby. We don't know His purposes in bringing this about. We often don't know that. We don't know His specific plan and trials, but we can trust Him. We can trust Him. We know that He cares. And we know that as Kempis reminded us earlier from Romans 8, He uses all things for good. And that good is He uses them to bring us into conformity to the image of His Son and to experience His love in a way we have never experienced before. I think of Job... A man who suffered more than just about anyone I can imagine, save Christ. He lost ten children. People say, well, right, he, 
He got back all that he lost. He got back 10 more kids. He still lost 10 babies. He still carried that scar. But you know what? He experienced God in a way very few in this life have. He knew God through that experience. And his faith and trust grew. God will use every circumstance in your life to accomplish the same. I'd like to spend a moment. I'd like to pray for the Boldy family. And I'd like to give any of you who've not yet given your life to the Lord Jesus or who may realize now, you know, I really don't know this God. I've been coming to church for years. I thought I don't know him. I want to give you a moment to talk to him. And then I will close us in prayer. Oh, Lord, these are difficult days. We see what sin has wrought in this world that you created, a world that was very good at one point in time. But, Lord, sin has has marred your creation, and now it groans and suffers. We groan and suffer. We're so grateful you've not abandoned us to what we deserve, an eternity apart from you in hell. We're so grateful that you showed your compassion and and love by sending your only son to suffer. You've seen your son suffer. You've experienced the death of your son, the separation that putting our sin upon him caused. Jesus, as he was hanging there, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that in obedience to you, his father out of love for us. Lord, thank you for the peace that surpasses understanding that you give those moments that we most need it. We ask for that peace to be liberally and abundantly poured out upon Boldy family. Pray for Brock and Christina and Jordan. Joel, Mary, Lord, just show them great comfort. Of course, we pray for our our dear daughter, Abby, and just, Lord, thank you for the encouraging uh, movement, even this morning, Lord. Uh, she's apparently moved her left side. We're so thankful for these things. Show yourself mighty in whatever you choose to do. Use this circumstance, Lord, to... To lift up Christ. We ask for our dear sister back. 
that you would give her many more years to proclaim the goodness of your son. If you choose differently, Lord, we would ask, Lord, for the strength that will be needed and the grace that will be needed. We're a dependent and needy people and so grateful that you are a God who cares. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 We'll take take some time today. Um, just reflect upon this season. And um, Boldy family so much appreciates your love and prayer and support. Um, they've had I don't know ten thousand people show up at the hospital. Just fine. The waiting room's not so big, but you know. Um, I know many of you want to help them in many ways, uh, and that's wonderful. I Kempis agree with your comments earlier. It's been neat to see a response. Uh, just continue to be sensitive to them. Sometimes they need some time just alone. Um, sometimes they'll need time just to spend with their daughter. And so try to be sensitive to that. As, and I know you want to visit and help, and um, that's great. So uh, there will be many ways to do that in the coming days. Um, they'll have many needs, I'm sure. But let's see what God does with this. And uh, I, know, I know he cares. Hopefully that you'll walk away today this morning convinced of that. Amen? Amen. Amen.